CWCCS podcast with Bible teaching from Pastor Al Pittman. In writing to the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul said, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So, who are you imitating? What leader are you following? Pastor Al will help us answer those questions. But before we get there, Pastor Al has written a new book that answers many questions people have at this time. It's titled Revelation, Earth's Final Chapter. The last book of the Bible is sometimes the least read and often the most misunderstood. That's why Al Pittman has written a book from his teachings through Revelation. For those who read, those who hear, and those who keep the words of this prophecy, there's a blessing for you that you are hearing these words today. Revelation, Earth's Final Chapter by Al Pittman is the new book available for pre-order now. What would Jesus say about your church? What is unveiled in the book of Revelation? Why is the church missing for so many chapters? The church age has ended. The church age is an age of grace. Grace has ended. Now judgment has come. Review the book of Revelation chapter by chapter with Al Pittman in his new book. Pre-order now where you get books or go to cwccs.org. That's cwccs.org. Someone once said, you know, I wish God would speak to us as he did in days of old and all this, but God is speaking. But are we listening? Revelation. Earth's Final Chapter by Al Pittman. This new book by Pastor Al Pittman comes from his in-depth teaching series on the book of Revelation. A perfect read for such a time as this. Revelation, Earth's Final Chapter. Pre-order or go to cwccs.org. Now, here's the message. If you have your Bibles open to Acts 18, you're at the right place. Amen. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 23 today. And I've been titled this message, Follow the Leader. <laughs> I was thinking just as I was sitting there how when I was, uh, I don't know, my, my uh, sister was, I won't tell on her now. She was learning to dance and she needed a dance partner so she had to, she used me as a dance partner. And then she was teaching me how to do the two-step. Remember the, the slow dance two-step, remember that? And some of you brothers like, yeah. No, no, anyway, <laughs> remember the slow dance. And... Uh, and a little two step, but you know, it, she said, now, if, you're, you, if I'm the guy, you have to let me lead. I've entitled the message, Follow the Leader. Sometimes when we're dancing with the Lord, we're stepping on his feet. <laughs> we're not letting the Lord lead. Paul the Apostle had a tenacious and audacious faith to follow Jesus Christ. There's no other way to explain it. And, and he wanted that faith for every believer, but Paul had learned to follow the leader. The Lord's lead. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 11, verse 1, he said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Another translation would say, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow his lead. In this dance we call Christianity, if I can use that metaphor, uh, are you allowing the Lord to lead? As we consider the close, and it is the close of Paul's second missionary journey that we find here, I pray that we will be inspired by his tenacious and audacious faith to continue our journey to the glory of God. You may have some long gray hairs, hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. As evidence of wisdom, you've been around for a while. God has kept you as evidence of grace, but God is not finished with you yet. Amen. Follow the leader. Beginning at verse 1, let's read along, read it with me, I'll read down to verse 3, but he says here, after these things, Paul departed from Athens. He was in Athens, where he addressed the issue of the unknown God. 
And he went to Corinth, which is south of Athens, in Greece, ancient Greece. The Bible says, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus. Pontus is in northern modern-day Turkey, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. That is the emperor, the Roman emperor Claudius. Uh, sometime between AD 41 and AD 52, he uh, made this order. So here they are at Corinth, Claud- uh, Aquila and his wife Priscilla. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed, verse 3 says, with them and worked with them for, he, they, for by occupation, excuse me, they were tent makers. Paul was a tent maker. He had a, a trade that he knew, tent making, and, uh, and Aquila and Priscilla also were involved in tent making uh, as well. In verse 4, it says, and he's reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks, that is Jews and Gentiles, Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia in northern Greece, and Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook off, shook his garment and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from now on. I will go to the Gentiles. Paul leaves the synagogue. He he reasons with them for a while. They don't want to hear the truth. And he had spent time there compelling them. The Bible says that he, he, or reasoning with them. And then it says that Paul was compelled by the Spirit to to declare that Jesus was the Christ. He was reasoning with them. He was taking the Old Testament scriptures and showing them how Christ had fulfilled the prophecies concerning the Messiah. Reasoning with them. But then he felt to be that he needed to be more direct and he declared plainly that Jesus is the Christ. What does it mean he is the Christ? The word Christ means that he's the anointed one. He's not only the anointed one, he's the appointed one by God. He's the savior of the world. He's the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. This was part of Paul's testimony. And I think it has to be a part of our testimony as well, lest we be presenting to the world a bragamony. A bragamony is all about you, not about Jesus. <laughs> Amen. And we have to have in our testimony that Jesus is the Christ. Paul was compelled by the Spirit. That word compelled, and the Greek word for compelled means to, to press or to, to, uh, to uh, constrain. He was constrained. He was constrained how? By the love of God. Love, not Politics, not numbers, getting more people at my church or whatever. Love must be the compelling factor behind our witness. Why do we tell people about Jesus? It ought to be because the love of God constrains us to do so. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul, in his second letter to the church at Corinth, sometime later, he wrote, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, that is Jesus, then all died. Those who are in Jesus, we've all died in Christ, that we might be resurrected to new life. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. We have been bought at a price, the Bible says. We belong to Jesus. 
But we should live not for ourselves, but for him. That's a revelation to a lot of Christians today. We're not to live to ourselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Hallelujah. He lives. God's love presses us. You can think about it this way. God's love presses us into his service. The love of God, the Bible says, is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. God fills you with his love. And that love that he pours through us, in us, is to go through us to other people. Sometimes we have damned up the love of God. And we have just, you know, received it just for ourselves. But God means for us as believers to be conduits of his love to other people. That the love of God being poured through us compels us to tell other people about Jesus. God's love presses us into his service. That's why we tell others. Yes, even when people do not want to listen. You know, I always want to witness the people who want to listen to me. (laughs) Everybody doesn't want to hear the truth. And they didn't want to hear the truth here as well. The Bible says here in verse 6 that they opposed him and blasphemed. They blasphemed. What are they doing? They're blaspheming the name of Jesus. What about blasphemy? Uh, Sometimes I have people come to me and they'll say, you know, Pastor, I think I've committed Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is that sin that cannot be forgiven. And uh, I would just look at them and say, well, I guess there's no hope for you. No, I didn't. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I'm just, I shouldn't joke about that. But I, just, but I would tell them, no, I don't think so. Because if you did, you wouldn't be asking the question. You wouldn't be concerned. Jesus said this about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in Matthew chapter 12, verses 31, 32. He says, therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy, which uh, will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the son of man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Wow. What is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Now, theologians will argue and debate and write books about it, and and that's great. Here's what it boils down to. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is that if you deny the work of the Holy Spirit, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said he's coming to the world to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You deny the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You push it aside. You make excuses for it. You become callous to it all your life. You're basically denying the love of God. And you leave this world having not received the Lord, the love of God, you have committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You leave the world without Jesus. Amen. Oh, American Express used to have that old commercial, was it? American Express don't leave home without it. Jesus don't leave earth without him. Amen. Lest you commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit by rejecting, willfully rejecting the love of God. People are doing it now. People are rejecting the Lord. But if you leave the world in that state, you've committed blasphemy. You have rejected the conviction and the work of the Holy Spirit. You have, in essence, done what the Pharisees did when they were rebuking Jesus. You have, a, you have rendered the works of Christ, the life of Christ, the righteousness of Christ to be of the devil. That's what they said in Matthew chapter 12. Uh, verses 24 and to verse 32. We just read a portion of it just a, a moment ago. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, the, uh, 
Uh, Pharisees said, so Jesus that was casting out demons, and they said, oh, he cast out demons by Beelzebub. Beelzebub, another name for the devil. And Jesus said, how can a house divided among itself stand? How can the devil cast out the devil? He said, but if I'm of God and I'm casting out demons, then the kingdom of God has come. And they didn't want to deal with that. And Jesus went on to tell them that, listen, all blasphemy will be forgiven. But this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you calling the work of God evil and maintaining that stance, you have, leaving the world in that fashion, you have committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, people draw their last breath. You know, I did it my way. (sighs) You have basically said that the works of Christ is of the devil. Attributing the works of Christ to the devil. That sin will not be forgiven. In verse 6, Paul says, yeah, I mean, the Bible tells us that they, they blaspheme. They blaspheme in the name of Jesus, you know. They, didn't, they, weren't, they were rejecting Christ, but you know, only God knows who received Christ, because we'll see in a moment. Some of them actually came to Christ. But Paul realized that his, his, his job was, had been, was complete. I mean, he had spoken the truth. And he says in verse 6, he says, uh, he says your blood is now on your own heads. I've, I've given you the truth. I've spoken the truth to you. I've shown you what the scripture says. I've shown you that Jesus Christ is indeed the Messiah. And you have blasphemed. He said, now your blood, it's, it's on you. You don't want to leave this world with your blood on your own heads. I think Paul was referencing here when he made that statement in verse 6, Ezekiel chapter 33, where God is speaking to Ezekiel and he says, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any people from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. Ezekiel, I'm calling you to be a watchman on the wall. The watchmen were on the wall. They could see you far off. They could say, hey, the enemy's coming. I've called you, Ezekiel, to be a watchman on the wall to speak the truth to my people. God has called the church in America to be a watchman on the wall for America. And if we do not speak the truth, the blood of this nation will be upon us. We have an urgent responsibility as the church, but as believers, in your family, on your job, at your school, to tell the truth. I didn't say you have to go to work tomorrow and say, uh, hear this, you know. Everybody trying to drink their coffee. <laughs> now hear this, you know. Uh, but when you're asked the truth, don't dance around it. Don't pretend that, well, you know, uh, uh, you know, many roads to God. No. He said, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's what he said. And Paul testified that Jesus is the Christ. I'm telling you the truth. Now, they may reject it, but that's on them. But if you know the truth and you do not share it, it's on you. We must speak the truth. As followers of Jesus Christ, we owe it to our nation 
to America. That's why I believe the best thing that we can be doing today as a church is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're praying for a mighty revival, and God is starting in his own house. Amen. That the church might stand up and truly be light to the world. But we must turn, as he says in his word, from our own evil ways. Well, we cannot be a light to our nation. Let us be watchmen on the walls of America, proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ in these desperate times. In verses 8 to 11, as we continue on, verse 7 actually is where we left off. He says, and he departed from the, uh, from the uh, synagogue. He departed from there and entered the house of a certain man by the name of Justice, uh, one who worshipped God, amen, whose house was next door to the synagogue. So he didn't go far. And Paul shakes off his, gar- his garment as a sign of saying, you know, I'm done with you guys. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go to the Gentiles now. Not just forever, but, I mean, here in Corinth, I'm going to go talk to the Gentiles. And he goes right next door. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Didn't have to go far. And the Bible says, and here we go. It says, then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed, gave his life to the Lord. And all his household and many of the uh, Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. That's the nature of God's word. You don't know who's listening, but somebody is. And there are those who will blaspheme, and there are those who will believe. And God knows. So God's word, here's the thing I know about God's word. I was talking to a pastor the other day. He was here visiting and, and uh, got to meet him over at the, the coffee shop. And, you know, he's from Missouri. And, and uh, you know, we're just discussing. He, said, he was kind of asking about what we did here. I said, we just teach the word. I said, I don't know anything else. My wife and I had dinner with some folks the other night, and they were asking about what, you know, what, what we did. I said, we just taught the word. We just teach, teach the word. I just, I'm just dumb enough to believe that God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It would pierce the very bone into the very marrow of our conscience and to bring forth fruit. I'm just that. You just found somebody naive enough to believe that. That's all we do. Is we just teach the word of God. And that's, any, that's all any pastor can do. Feed the sheep. By teaching them the word of God. Because the word of God always bears fruit. I encouraged the pastor the other day in the coffee shop. I said, just be who you are. See, because people know if you're faking it. But if you're genuine, just be who you are. You know, he said, I, I live in an area he said, where, you know, all the churches are white, you know. Just, just you know, just white people. Not allowed. There's not, there's, you know, your church is very mixed. It's not, it's not that way where I'm at. I said, you just proclaim the word of God. Be who you are. You don't try to be acting hip or anything. It was happening. Man, stop that. <laughs> be who you are. And people will respond to genuine, authentic believers. Those who teach the word. Because the word of God will, will you know, it, it will bridge the gap between you know, ethnicities. Amen. It calls us all to be one in Jesus Christ. Amen. If we're genuine, if we're genuine. Amen. Well, so, you know, the, God's word bears fruit. And then in verse nine, he says, now the Lord said, spoke to Paul in the night by a vision and said, do not be afraid. Why would God say that? Because Paul was afraid. Yes, Paul, the apostle, the mighty man of God was fearful. He was afraid. And the Lord said, but speak, because fear will silence you. Speak and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. 
And he continued there a year and six months, a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. Don't be silent, Paul, but speak. Why? Because I'm with you. Fear will shut your mouth. Isn't it amazing? Sometimes you probably discovered this on your job. When you were finally bold enough to, to talk about Jesus, you know, how Christians on your job came out of the woodwork. Hey, me too. <laughs> I'm a believer. I, I, you know, it's amazing how the devil kind of intimidates us sometimes, keeps us silent. The Lord says, hey, I, I got your back. In fact, I've got many people who love me in this city. In Corinth, Corinth was a challenging place. Very challenging place. I mean, it was, it's really considered to be kind of the Las Vegas by the sea. You know, in, in between two uh, um, places, two, uh, two cities, I mean, two uh, seas, the Ionian Sea and the, uh, uh, the Aegean Sea. And, uh, you know, it was known for, it was a seaport. It was actually the, the trade route from Rome, the capital of the world, to, you know, to, uh, to the east. And it was known for its gambling. It was known for its temple prostitution. Uh, it was known for, you know, all type of vices and, and business opportunities and all this. Kind of the Las Vegas by the sea. So he was in a challenging place like, wow, I got to get out of here. And God said, don't be afraid. We live in challenging times ourselves, do we not? We think the Lord is saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Paul had to learn. Something that we desperately need to learn today. What is that? To not be focused on the natural, but the supernatural. To be focused on the things that are not seen. Now, that sounds weird to the human mind. But we are to live by faith. Not in what is seen, but what is unseen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Wow, really? What do we focus on most of our time? On things that are seen. We look at people, we judge them, things that are seen. By their outward appearance. God doesn't do that. He looks at the heart, number one. He says, you know, don't live your life. You can't live your life as a Christian and look at the things that are just seen. We have to look at the things that are unseen. Why? Because the just shall live by what? By faith. By faith in the Lord. Second Kings chapter 6, uh, the servant of Elisha, guy by the name of his, uh, uh, Gehazi. I get it right, Gehazi. And Gehazi was, uh, he was kind of in, in the ministry for himself, actually, a little bit. Uh, but the Syrians sent an army out to arrest Elisha. And uh, Gehazi went out one day, and one morning probably, and he looked up and he saw the Assyrian army out there. And he freaked out. And he was screaming, whatever, panicking, because fear always reacts. And he was panicking, and he went to Elijah, and Elijah prayed. He just prayed. Sometimes you, you just, the only response to fearful people, just pray. And he said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the mountains, the Bible says, when Gehazi's eyes were open, he saw that the mountains were full of the horses and chariots of fire of the Lord surrounding Elisha. Amen. I love that. Lord, open his eyes. May God open our eyes today to see the unseen. If you're focused on that which is seen by the world, you'll live in panic and in fear and anxiety. Scripture says, be anxious for nothing but in all things to pray. 
that you might get an eternal perspective on what's going on around you. Amen. I love Michael W. Smith's song, and I heard it coming into work this past week. And the song, you know, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Amen. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. (laughs) Amen. I love that song. It blessed me so. Lord, help us to see. It looks like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Amen. Surrounded by the power of God. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. May God open our eyes today to see the unseen. Armed with this perspective, Paul continued teaching a year and a half. Teaching a year and a half the word of God. I don't think he taught it without fear. I think he taught despite the fear. Faith is not the absence of fear but acting despite it. And sometimes we're waiting for the fear to dissipate. It's always going to be fear. You just got to act by faith and trust God despite the fears you might face. Here's a question before we move on, and that is this. What would you do if fear was not a factor? What would you do? I ain't talking about sinful stuff. (laughs) What would you do if fear... For the Lord, if fear was not a factor. The Lord comes to us and says, do not be afraid. Why? Because we're afraid. He says, but I'm with you. And if God is for me, who can be against me? If God is with me, (laughs) I'm in the majority. I'm on the winning side. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38 again says, And now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. You know, God is always telling you to go forward, never to go back. When you're walking by faith, it's always forward, it's never backward or standing still. The just shall live by faith. In verse 12, when Galileo was proconsul, that is governor, Roman governor of Achaia, Achaia being ancient Greece. The Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. Say, wait a minute now, I thought God said he was going to be all right. Hey, just because God says that you're going to be fine, you know, no, no harm, no hurt would come to Paul, doesn't mean that life is without trials. Come on, somebody, amen. <laughs> God said I would, nothing was going to happen. You know, the bad things still happen to good people. And so these, you know, there's this uproar. And uh, they said, you know, this fellow, they brought him, Paul, before the judgment seat. And they said, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth and say something, uh, Galileo, excuse me, said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or some wicked crime, old Jews, then there would be a reason why I should bear with you. But it is 
But if it is a question of words and names and, and your own law, your own religion, look to it yourselves. For I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Verse 17, then all, then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him. You know, you can't get Paul, we'll beat you. Uh, before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of these things. Hmm. Again, this situation that Paul is in is a, is, a, is a fearful one, but he believed God was going to keep him, and God is, again, being faithful in keeping him. Their main complaint against Paul was, well, uh, this fellow is teaching us to worship contrary to the law, which I find is very an interesting statement because God doesn't want us to worship him according to the law. The law they were speaking of, the Jews were speaking of, was Judaism, was the Old Testament law or the law of Moses. And Leo didn't want any part of it and chased him away from the judgment seat. The judgment seat was, uh, many believe, on the eastern side of Corinth in a meeting place in a Corinthian forum and it was a raised ceremonial platform where the governor would sit and it was in full view of the public and everybody could see what was going on so uh, he kind of shot them down in front of everybody so to speak but this guy's teaching us to worship God contrary to the law and uh, you know that's religion God doesn't want worship according to the law according to religion but he wants worship according to love a right relationship with him. You know, God wants a relationship of love with you. And Jesus said this in John uh, chapter 4 to the woman at the well. He said, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Spirit, your attitude, your heart, your in, and in truth. God desires truth. Where? David said in Psalm 51, in the inward parts. That inward intimacy. For the Father is, is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. God doesn't want our ceremonies. He doesn't want our robotic, robotic religion. Just going through the motions. No more than your spouse wants you going through the motions. Hallelujah. They want a relationship. God doesn't want robots. He wants a romance. It's like your spouse. People say, oh, we fell out of love. Well, you want to fall back into love? Go back to what you did in the beginning. You know when you were dating back in the 70s? <laughs> you took a bath. Made sure you had some dentine in your mouth. <laughs> Splashed on that English leather. <laughs> Got your wide collars out here, your polyester shirt, platform shoes on. Got that walk on. Come on, amen. You, you want to get the romance up again? Go do some of the things you used to do, amen. Now that I'm thoroughly convicted with my wife looking at me, I'm going to move on. <laughs> 
But the point is, God really desires. He doesn't want people to go, God should just make us. God doesn't want robots. He wants a romance. Do you have a romance with the Lord? It's not always chocolates and roses, but you have an intimacy with him. Even when you fail, when you're weak, that you know you can go to him because you're convinced that he loves you that much. So, Paul is, or the Jews are driven from the judgment seat. They beat up Sosthenes. Uh, he was the ruler of the synagogue. Maybe he was associated with Paul. Being associated with Paul was hazardous. Uh, even we saw with Jason uh, in chapter 17, verse 6, he got accosted, of course, by being associated with Paul as well. In verse 18, the Bible says, so Paul still remained a good while. Stop there. That blows my mind. Paul, didn't you, don't you think that was your cue to get out of Corinth? <laughs> you know, that you kind of dodged a bullet, but you continued to stay a good while, even after that. And I believe he stayed because he was following Jesus. That's a great point there because of the very fact that sometimes when things get rough, and things get tough or things get hard, we want to skedaddle. We want to leave. Marriage gets a little rocky. I'm out of here. We're incompatible. Ah! You know, she likes scrambled eggs. I like them over easy. Ah, I'm out of here. <laughs> Job gets a little hard. Oh, I need to go someplace else. There's a little struggle, you know, living in Colorado Springs. I need to move someplace else. We're always, you know, the church has, you know, got a little commotion going on. Instead of praying, oh, I'm getting out of here. Things get tough. But here's what I love to see. I love to see people who, who if they're coming to Calvary Worship Center, they're coming to Calvary Worship Center because God told them to come. And they're here because they believe God brought them here. Amen. Because that tells me that they will not leave until God tells them to leave. Amen. Because they are followers of Jesus Christ. They're not leading Jesus Christ on a leash. Amen. And I'm in this marriage until God tells me to leave. And he ain't going to tell you to leave. <laughs> Unless you have biblical grounds. I'm on this job until God tells me I'm done. Okay, how nasty the supervisor is. If you have an opportunity, God doesn't think not against opportunities. But are you picking this up from Paul? Paul stayed there still a good while longer. Faith waits. Fear panics. He's waiting on the Lord. Trusting in the Lord. Somebody said faith reacts, fear responds. And I added according to the word of God. And we see that in the world. We see where fear reacts. <laughs> you know. A lot of fear, a lot of people reacting today in fear. They're reacting. But the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by the word of God. By the truth of God. Faith, a fear always reacts. Have a bad day, you know. But faith responds. The Bible says, 
In verse 18, it continues, then he, he took leave of the brethren and sailed to Syria, for Syria, because God released him from Corinth. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him, uh, were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centuria, uh, for he had taken a vow. Now, this vow may be connected with, now, if people, some people believe that the person having their head shaved here is actually Aquila. Um, and it, you know, it, it could, could be, but many scholars believe that it's Paul. And if it was Paul, he probably had his head shaved, uh, uh, after taking a vow with the Lord in the context of a Nazarite vow, um, with the Lord, uh, because in the Nazarite vow, uh, in numbers chapter six, verses one to eight. And in verse 18, it's on the screen. Um, there was a commitment to the Lord to be consecrated to the Lord for a certain amount of time. To abstain from certain worldly things. And, um, and once you've completed the vow, uh, Numbers chapter 6, verse 18 tells us that you would have your head shaved. You wouldn't, you let your hair grow. You've seen some of the Hasidic Jews who have the locks that come down, little curly cues, like curly fries coming down on the side <laughs> of their, their head. They won't cut their hair, you know, it's, like, it's related to the Nazarite vow. But they weren't, you know, you didn't have to have it that way all the time. Once you fulfilled your vow, according to Numbers chapter 6, you could cut, you shave your head. And so that was a sign that you had fulfilled the vow that you had made unto the Lord. So Paul, probably after he made a vow to the Lord, when the Lord came to him and said, do not be afraid, he made a vow to the Lord, and maybe this is the completion of that vow after he left Corinth. He comes down to Ephesus, verse 19, and he came to Ephesus and left them there, that is Aquila and Priscilla, but he himself entered the synagogue there in Ephesus and reasoned with the Jews. And when they had asked him to stay longer, a longer time with them, he did not consent. Paul said, you know, they, they like Paul. They say, hey, we want to hear more. And he said, I can't stay. He says, but took leave, verse 22, verse 21, excuse me, took leave of them saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem but I will return again to you, and I love this, God willing. He's a follower of Jesus. He's not leading Jesus. God willing is always a great way, uh, a great uh, way to end whatever your plans are. Hey, man, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. God willing. The Lord willing. And uh, because I'm a follower of Jesus. I have plans, I have things I want to do, but you know what? God may not be willing. I always say, God willing. Even with appointments. Hey, you gonna, let's get together next week. Yeah, I'll be there at 12 o'clock, Lord willing, because <laughs> I don't know. I may be in heaven at 12. <laughs> you never know. Uh, you, you never know. And he sailed from Ephesus. Now, uh, Ephesus was an interesting place that Paul was at. It was an important port city. It was on the west coast of modern-day Turkey. Um, the ruins of Ephesus are still there. Ephesus was known, interesting, known for a lot of things, known for a lot of polytheism, a lot of, uh, you know, they believed in uh, multiple deities and gods and all this. It, it was kind of a, a religious, pagan religious center. In fact, Artemis, the Temple of Artemis, also called Diana by the Romans, uh, was built there. It was a magnificent temple that was considered to be one of the 
uh, seven wonders of the ancient world at, in, its, in its day. Uh, and um, it was a port city, and so it was a lot of stuff going on in Ephesus. It also had there, interesting enough, a, they had medical schools. They had a large medical school, but they had several medical schools, according to historians. And in fact, um, you know, uh, there's a stone there with uh, the, what is called the Caduceus. I think it's called the Caduceus, or what is it called? Yeah, Caduceus. Caduceus is the Caduceus, Caduceus, not can, Caduceus. Uh, is that sign that you see on EMT patches or whatever, medical sign, two serpents that wound around a, a uh, staff. Well, that's, that's, you know, probably originated from Ephesus. It, is, it was really originated from pagan uh, religion. And, and it, it speaks of uh, medicine, speaks of healing and all of that. Um, there's a similar sign found in the Old Testament um, for a different reason, but uh, uh, actually kind of similar reasons, really. Um, in Numbers chapter 21, verses 5 to 7, there, um, the children of Israel, they, got, they, they were rebelling against God. They rebelled against God's man, God, that had set uh, against Moses. And they were rebelling against the manna that God was giving them every day from heaven. They said, we're sick of this manna. We're going back to Egypt and all of this. And they were complaining. So God judged them by sending into the camp of Israel these poisonous, fiery serpents that started biting folks. And people started dying. And then they finally got the point, no pun intended, amen, and they repented of their sins. And uh, in an act of mercy, God told Moses to fashion a bronze serpent to a pole and raise it up. And all who would look at the bronze serpent on this pole would live if they had been bitten. And everything God does is for a purpose because that incident really was a prophetic sign of what Jesus would do for us on the cross. He was lifted up as a curse for us. The serpent was a curse. As a curse for us on the cross that all who look to the cross might live, might be saved through faith in him. Amen. That was a prophetic sign. Amen. In the Old Testament. So what does it have to do with our text? Well, Paul is going to Ephesus. He'll go back to Ephesus. But uh, here he goes to Ephesus. And, um, and, and in the midst of a society that is really uh, obsessed with physical healing, he brings a message of spiritual healing. He brings a message that, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He brings to them the great physician and says, this is where true healing resides. And then I thought about well, our time today. Right now, people are jonesing for some type of vaccine for, for COVID. And I pray to the Lord that it comes soon and all. But here's the deal. We've got a society, the whole world looking for healing. And we have the message of the ultimate healing through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. And so what should we be doing today that Paul did then is proclaiming Jesus, the ultimate healing, because you can get the vaccine, but the vaccine is not victory over your sin. But the cross is victory over your sin and sets for you an eternal destiny, irrefutable, irrevocable through faith in Jesus Christ. And his everlasting life, you faith in him. I love what the Lord said to the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 15. He said, for I am the Lord who heals you. Our healing for America is in Jesus. The healing that America desperately needs is not in the vaccine, it's in the victory of the cross. And we need to be proclaiming that truth in our day and our time. In verse 21, I think I've already mentioned maybe... Uh, but he's, he's, he said, I can't stay with you guys, but i uh, got to go. He, I got to uh, get to Jerusalem for the feast, the feast that he's 
more than likely speaking about is the Feast of Passover. So he leaves them and he goes on, uh, leaves Ephesus. Verse 22 and 23 really is my conclusion for today. And then verse 22, it says, and when he had landed at Caesarea, Caesarea is on the coast of Israel. Uh, When we go to Israel and do our tours, we visit Caesarea, see some of the ruins there in Caesarea. And so he goes to Caesarea. So he's on a long journey, but he finally gets to Caesarea, to Israel. He goes up and greets the church there. Then he goes down to Antioch and greets the church in Antioch, uh, which is in uh, modern-day northern uh, region uh, in Syria. And uh, after that, it says he, he had spent some time there. He departed and went over the region of Galatia, goes back into modern-day Turkey and Phrygia, Uh, in order, strengthening all the disciples. I conclude with those two verses because it's fascinating here to me that Paul is still following the leader. Hey, after two missionary journeys, come on, let's be real. I'm kind of like, if I was Paul, I've been there, done that, let the young guys do it. It's time for retirement, amen. It's time to take it easy. Uh, I'll just stay back here. But here he is, he goes out again, right back up into modern-day Turkey, you know, from region today is northern Syria and Antioch into modern-day Turkey, and he's to strengthen the brethren there. He's still following the Lord. Despite his age and despite the trials, he's still following the Lord. Sometimes in following the Lord, you know, we say we're following the Lord because I'm still going to church, but in our hearts, we really stop following the Lord. Because we're not open to God doing some new thing in our lives. We're not opening, open to the move of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we kind of shut ourselves out. We thought, well, if I can get to church, I'm still following the Lord. No. Just because you walk in the doors of the church doesn't mean you're following the Lord. Are we still in intimate, having an intimate relationship with him? Because to follow the Lord really, and Paul all this ministry he did this, but he said, you know what? None of these things matter to me, he said. He would say later on in the book of Acts. When they said, oh, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. They're going to bind you in chains. He said, you know, none of those things matter to me. What matters to me is that I finished the race God has called me to run, and that with joy. And you can't finish with joy unless you're following the leader. And he followed all the way to the end, and he finished with joy. Because here's the reality. You know, and, and I'm guilty of this too. Sometimes I, Lord, I just want some peace. I don't want, give me a week where there's not a challenge. I just want kind of everything smooth. Everything's wonderful. Everybody likes me. It's just wonderful. You know, we're just tiptoeing through the tulips and, the, you know, every, everything's just wonderful. Praise the Lord, you know. And I, I, you know, I really, I mean, really, it, in the last couple of weeks have kind of rocked me. Just some of the things I've seen, I just, in, uh, Lord. You know, I need, I need to get away. And sometimes you do need to get away. And uh, just some personal stuff. And, and it's just, I just, Lord, it's just, I'm, I'm, sometimes I just so Lord, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of wrestling. I just want to be a spectator. <laughs> but if I'm following him, I've got to wrestle sometimes. Yes, sir. Amen. We were at a memorial service the other day, and uh, uh, Kevin was, did a song there, and uh, one of our other worship people was there um, singing, and it was just it was neat, and 
um, memorial service for a young man who left this world way too soon. And, uh, but his uh, wrestling coach came up and he said this and it just it struck me. And I looked at the guy next to me and I thought, wow. He said, you know, when you're wrestling, I think it's three rounds. I call them rounds. I don't know anything about wrestling. All I know about wrestling is I took it in junior high school. I probably weighed 90 pounds. Uh, and uh, we had this coach. His name was Coach Pratt from South Junior High School. And it's torn down now. You know you're getting old when they start tearing down buildings you used to, <laughs> schools you used to go to. He's about four foot nothing. And he's as mean as a bulldog. One of those coaches. Remember those guys? And... Uh, He'd have us wrestle, and you get down there, and he'd have you put a guy in a half Nelson. That's all I remember. And then he'd tell you, drive, drive. I just hear him. That's all I hear. You know, I, just, I still hear him today. Drive. You know, driving the guy's face in the mat. Yeah, I'm driving. I'm driving. <laughs> so that's all I know about wrestling. But anyway, this young man wrestled, and his wrestling coach was there. He said, you know, in the first round, Usually, it goes to the guy with the best technique. In the second round, it goes to the guy who's in better shape. But the third round always goes to the guy who has the bigger heart. I thought, wow. Paul followed the Lord not because he had the best technique or he was the strongest. He even said he was the chief of sinners. But because he had heart for the Lord. You may not have the best technique as a Christian. You may not be the strongest faith. But if you have a heart for God, he'll move mountains for you. Amen. If you have a heart to continue to follow him. Amen. And we have this promise from the Lord in following him. It's in Psalm 85. I'm going to read it. Go on and read it here for the sake of time. You can turn there quickly. Great. But it says in verse 8. It says, I will hear what God, the Lord, will speak. For he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. How do we do that? We'll see in a moment. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. How does that happen? Mercy and truth in verse 10 with righteousness and peace. In verse 12 says, what is good? God's goodness. How is that experience? He says in verse 13, Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. God's footstep is your pathway. And where God places his foot is victory. And wherever you place your foot, because you follow the leader, is to walk in victory. Amen. That, I, I love that. His, think about it. Think it through. If his footsteps his, is your pathway, then why are you living in defeat? The reason why is because I'm not following the leader. 
I've, I've taken my own path. This is a better way, Lord. I think I can get there shorter this way. You know, Lord, I, I heard this was, I've done some research. I was on, <laughs> we're someplace the other day, some little, little girl goes, you know, I, I, searched, I researched this on the internet and, and on YouTube, and I thought, look, I've been doing this for, you know, before you even were twinkling your daddy's eyes, so don't, don't even, but, <laughs> but, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, we, we look to the information of mankind to guide us and to lead us. No. Lord, your footsteps. How, how, does, how, does, you know, how do we walk in the footsteps of the Lord? In his word. This is how I lead this church, by the way. If you ever wonder, why did Pastor Al make these decisions? You know. It's because of the very fact that, you know what? God is directing me. I'm, I'm looking at his foot. I'm looking at his word. We have... Uh, I sent a video out the other day about Creekside. Did I mention that already? The update? And um, just let you know that uh, after consulting with our board and with other leaders within our church and praying about it, and all, we really have come to the decision to not reopen Creekside. And I'm following the Lord's, I believe I'm following the Lord's lead on this. And so I talked to a person we have the lease with and and they're okay with it and all. And the reason, one of the reasons why is because it's a win-win for the kingdom of God. Let me tell you what's happening. If we had done this a year ago, it wouldn't have happened. It just so happens there's this young man that I know who's starting a church in town called Zeal Church. And uh, he's a young African-American pastor. He and his wife, a young family. And it's called Zeal Church. And they were in a school meeting. Uh, they had their first meeting a couple of weeks ago or whatever. And they had 800 people show up. God's doing an amazing work. So here we, so here we have this building over there, you know, uh, and uh, we're not using it. We're still paying a lease on it, <clears throat> by the way. And uh, we're not in there. And I thought, this guy could start leasing it, and they could be in there. Uh, we're not going to open Creekside because it's just, you know, COVID has really hit it, hit it pretty hard. And it's just not wise, I don't think, for us to move forward in that direction. And just so happened, here they are, and now they're taking over the lease, and they're going to be occupying Creekside. Listen, it's a win-win because it's not about expanding my kingdom, it's about expanding his kingdom, and the church of Jesus Christ is, continues to be glorified. Amen? So we thank God for that, but I'm excited about what he's going to do here within our fellowship. But I know when I have God, when I'm stepping where he stepped, I know it's going to be all right. I know people looked at me crazy. We built this building. They thought, hey, he's going to put us in debt. We're going to die. You know. And some people probably left the church over it. But here we stand. I look for his footstep, and I put my foot there. I know I got victory. Wherever he tells you to stand, you've got victory, according to his word. Amen? I love what the Lord said to Joshua. He said, every place that you're, the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. And I believe the Lord is saying that to you. This week, put your feet where the Lord has placed his foot, and you will walk in victory. He has promised you righteousness and peace. He's promised you uh, mercy and truth. He's promised you nothing but goodness if you will step where the Father has stepped. His steps are it is our pathway. Amen. Thanks for catching today's episode of Pastor Al Pittman's teaching on the CWCCS podcast. 
If you haven't already, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if this message hit home for you, share it with a friend. You can also support this ministry and these free teachings by visiting cwccs.org and click on Give. While you're there, you can also find the full archive of teachings from Al Pittman by clicking on the sermons link. That's cwccs.org. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.